When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by Outstanley. If you are a small indie studio or even a big one, and you need that extra push for graphical fidelity, then you would want to give Outstanley a call. These guys can up your game, pun totally intended, for game-ready 2D or 3D assets, animations, and UI to make sure your imagination is completely realized. Outstanley is a one-stop shop for all your visual needs. And as an extra bonus, by being a Game Dev Unchained listener, go to outstanley.com. That is spelled O U T S T A N D L Y.com and say that you're a Game Dev Unchained listener and you will get a special discount or bonus production for your order. Guys, game development is already really hard, so why not make it easier by working with these high quality professionals and save some headaches? Again, go to outstanley.com. Dot com, like outstanding, just outstandly, and say that Game Dev Unchained sent you. So, just a little update. Uh, originally, the Game Dev Unchained podcast was going to be showing up at GDC. By now, you probably have heard GDC has been canceled. I actually uh, canceled it with my team at Godemix. Uh, we were planning to kind of go there and party it up for a whole week. But uh, as you can tell, uh, it ain't happening. We actually canceled the a couple of days before GDC was officially canceled. A lot of the companies kind of was pulling out Epic, Amazon, and uh, Facebook, Oculus, all these major companies. And, you know, I think at that point, everybody kind of saw the signs that uh, it wasn't going to happen. And GDC was kind of holding on to their purses just hoping that uh, this whole thing would blow over. But they made the right call, very last-minute call. Of course, there's a, a lot of... Uh, our, my heart goes out to a lot of the developers out there who kind of depend on that conference to kind of give attention to and, and, and promote and make connections uh, for their upcoming game, as you can imagine. It's not something that you can pretty much delay a year after and, and resume things as normal, right? It affects your business, especially that being such a major conference and making connections is a central thing to being a productive business. Um, a lot of people are probably going to be really affected, uh, you know, spending that much money just planning to do the trip, right? So my heart goes out to anybody that was affected by this. Um, there are a lot of relief efforts uh, that, that are happening right now to kind of alleviate these concerns, uh, these problems. Uh, so, you know, Zach, in this episode actually gives a little shout out, but I think it's worth kind of mentioning at the beginning of the episode too. You can go to Twitter, go to hashtag GDC relief fun. Um, th- there's a trending hashtag and many other resources kind of helping with that. Along with that, you know, GDEX is still happening. Uh, We're running the event in June as planned. So I'm going to start reaching out to a lot of these folks who are giving talks at GDC who won't have the opportunity to. GDC is kind of trying to help with that, but I, you know, I feel GDEX can do a better job. So uh, that's been the news uh, as of late uh, unfortunately, I won't be able to kind of see you guys. Uh, you know, I was kind of planning like a little fan get together uh, for uh, those GDU listeners out there for your long support. Uh, I was really looking forward to it. We kind of had that week planned to kind of hang out. It's one of my favorite times of the year to kind of hang out in San Francisco, just being just having blocks of blocks of San Francisco owned by game developers. It's always been exciting. I always rub shoulders with friends that I haven't seen for a long time and uh, not being able to do that for this year and having to maybe wait for another year. uh, going to be uh, sorely missed for sure. Uh, I know they're going <laughs> to, 
they're talking about postponing it, but let's be let's be real here, dude. It's not happening. <laughs> they don't even have a date. Uh, and even if they do throw it together, it's going to be fraction, a fraction amount of people. Most people don't have that ability to kind of fly out or rebook plans and stuff. And, you know, because a lot of people probably won't get their refunds on hotel and travel and uh, travel, travel stuff. Fortunately, I was able to, I only had to mention the C word coronavirus that, uh, you know, my flight was non-refundable, but I was able to kind of get it back. So I actually encourage a lot of people to kind of call in and, and get that taken care of. Aside from that, coronavirus, uh, maybe this is going to be a hot topic for a roundtable uh, that's coming up. Um, my thoughts on that is I, I feel like people are overreacting a bit, man. Am I wrong in this? Do you guys know? Please kind of email in if you have anybody that is affected by this in the United States, right? Or wherever you are. Um, you know, I've had friends that came back from Japan and they're, you know, the panic isn't as bad as over there. Maybe it's a uniquely United States thing that we overreact. A funny, few funny stories is that like my local Costco, there was like a a fist fight in the Clorox aisle. People kind of punching each other for the last bits because in the Home Depot as well, like people are just cleaning out, kind of upselling it on the net, kind of cashing in on this uh, scary phenomenon, right? Um, should have done that. <laughs> Earned some extra lunch boxes. But I feel like this is something that's just going to blow over, but it might take a while. I think it's going to probably be uh, in the summer. How it affects game developers, uh, it's already kind of affecting all industries. You look at uh, the stock market, a lot of our production comes from China. Uh, outsourcing probably has an effect for these major companies around the world. AAA companies, especially in the United States, rely heavily on outsourcing. So a lot of these Asian countries, especially <clears throat> being affected by this uh, scare, uh, the straight up productions just have stopped, right? So that's definitely affecting game developers. And uh, another thing that I've been seeing is like... Um, the stadia, the stadia has been just bombarded with a lot of bad news as of late. Uh, details about indie developers kind of not liking the type of deals or exclusivity deals that Google's kind of presenting them. Uh, early adopters are kind of left in the cold with 45 days and counting with no new news of releases or, or any updates. Uh, what started, I think, at the beginning of the year with optimism, I feel like a lot of this stuff has been affecting a lot of tech companies and game companies especially. So I'm curious to see how this plays out. I'm curious to kind of go to our roundtable panel to kind of circle our thoughts and kind of come up with a sound conclusion. But until then, uh, I want to introduce this episode. I had a great talk with Zach Rich. Uh, he's been an unofficial legal counsel. Um, I got to make sure I preface that because he can get in trouble. <laughs> so he's just a dear friend giving a suggestion um, with uh, what's going on. So this California AB5 stuff, if you guys haven't heard of it, start Googling it or just sit around and listen to this episode because it is an enlightening one. I started with it with one opinion and ended it with another. And that's what Zach does. He kind of has that knowledge base to kind of correct me on things. So I love that. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. On with the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Game Dev Unchained, the number one podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham. I'm here with a special guest, a returning guest, Zach Rich. How are you doing, Zach? I'm doing good, Brandon. How are you doing? 
I am doing good. I hear you loud and clear now. I know we're recording. I'm checking for sure now. Uh, so for people who haven't heard you on the podcast before, do you mind kind of giving a quick background of who you are? Absolutely. So some of you guys may have remembered me from uh, earlier episodes or <laughs> you're seconds ago. hearing me for the first time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I am I am a tech lawyer. I'm originally from Miami, Florida. I am now located in Silicon Valley, California. My main clients are you know, the large tech companies out here, both in gaming and uh, consumer products and consumer electronics. I support uh, mostly in the areas of privacy, intellectual property, advertising and marketing law. Um, and then I also provide general guidance to my clients uh, when they're releasing products, creating sort of the next idea or, or the next big thing. Fantastic, man. So the main Third topic, intro is a charm, right? <laughs> third intro is a charm. You sound super professional. We're all warmed up now. So before, I'm going to use the same jokes, dude. So before coronavirus took California by storm, there was the California AB5. So this is a topic that I've been wanting to talk about since the new year. And it's affecting a lot of contractors. So uh, before I butcher the details, can you go ahead and provide us what this bill is about and how it is crucial for Californians to know about it. Sure. So this bill, AB5, it codifies into law a common law test that has been used for years. And and what this is, is for the longest time, there was always a constant struggle between independent contractors and employers and what their classification is. An employer obviously will always favor an independent contractor status because they don't have to pay things like certain wages, taxes, insurance, et cetera. And in some states like California, where there's um, other requirements of uh, an employee or employer provides an employee, um, it's significantly beneficial for the company to treat you as a independent contractor. The flip side of that, it's not all bad for the contractor because you get access to write-offs. You get access to having your own business. You can theoretically pick your own hours, etc. Well, enter the gig economy, which decided to turn everything up on its head. And when I mean by gig economy, I'm talking about Postmates, Uber Eats, Uber, Lyft, um, etc. And California said, look at all you big companies out there and specifically targeted ride sharing and said, you, you know, you're exploiting your workers. You're not paying a fair wage. There was lawsuits filed all across the country trying to reclassify uh, gig economy workers as employees. So California said, enough. We're not going to put this in the court's hands anymore. We're going to make this law. Thus, enter AB5. Yeah, it's a scary law because, I mean, I'm not... I think I'm more uh, attuned to what's going on because I own my own business and I'm running it and I'm constantly, I live in California. So, but like most people kind of like how health insurance is kind of required now this year or else you're going to pay a tax by the end of the year. Most people don't know about this. And, uh, and it's a funny way to find out about it. Like most laws that get passed, uh, you kind of find it out about it when it's too late in most cases. Right. So, the thing that bothers me the most is that this is something that was kind of built to help all these rideshare type of economies, but it was so generalized. Uh, and I think we've kind of talked about this before that it's kind of affecting all industries without without the the input and the opinions of these other industries to kind of formulate this law so that it actually makes sense. And so now correct me if I'm wrong, it's affecting these industries in ways that is causing more trouble than good. Oh, significantly. I mean, if you're a small shop and you don't really have necessarily the funds to hire individuals as employees, I mean, it's very expensive. Just to give you an idea, you there's an increase in wage you have to pay. There's a minimum amount of annual paid sick leave you have to do. You have to pay time and a half overtime for anyone who works over 40 hours a week. You have to reimburse employees now for out-of-pocket expenses. You have to provide meals or rest breaks. I mean, these are all things you never had to do with contractors before and have small businesses and small studios never really had to worry about. And now this is something very real. This is this is what happens when you have an issue and let regulators solve the problem. 
And the first thought when you hear those type of provisions or things that affects contractors is that you a company would most likely not want to hire Californians. They would immediately try to look elsewhere because why not? There's other 49 states that is available outside of United States. There are many countries available for freelance work and contract work that they don't have to go through this headache or uh, any uh, go into any accidental errors that can really affect their companies. Um, is this something that is happening right now? Do you feel that most people are just looking elsewhere instead of trying to abide by these laws? Um, I think it really depends on your level of risk that you're willing to absorb as a company, uh, your size. For example, there's been public statements by Uber saying that they've just are going to ignore AB5. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's necessarily... I don't want to call them loopholes because that's not really the right term to use. But I was reading the other day that California has seen a significant, we're talking 45% plus increase in newly formed LLCs. Mm. So there are ways around these things. Um, You know, one of these exemptions are B2B contracts. So if you're an independent contractor who is doing the right things and creating a business that you're you know, company is run under. And in theory, if say uh, you, Brandon, are going to contract with me, Zach, you're not contracting with me personally, you're contracting with my business. So your business to my business. Um, Those types of contracts will still exist, but that doesn't really affect, say, the gig economy workers. It doesn't really affect the small studio who is hiring that single designer, developer, coder, engineer, et cetera. So does that still work? Because I've read somewhere, too, that uh, the loophole um, would be creating an LLC and doing a business to business. But there are some companies that have reservations about going that route because it still is affecting their AB5 provisions. Um. Will it work? It's it's a risk. And this goes back to what I was saying, you know, how how risk averse are you? And mm-hmm. yes, you can as a single individual create an LLC and focus your work that way. Um, there's going to be other problems to that that you, the individual creating your LLC, will have to resolve. For example, you are now an employee of your own company. Um and you're going to want to get a fantastic accountant to who can set up certain tax structures for you to make sure that you're following everything to the T. But yes, in theory, the the business to business contract is a loophole to to AB five. Mm-hmm. So, has this been? You were kind of mentioning before, like Uber just simply ignoring AB five. Like, what are the ramifications? Like, are they able to do that? Uh, are there actual penalties in place to kind of execute on people who violate this AB5? Absolutely. Um, and that, that kind of goes to that list we were talking about earlier. If you were treating somebody as an independent contractor and they file suit under their uh, – <clears throat> excuse me. They file suit under AB5 seeking reclassification as an employee, you're going to have to be paying back wages – you're going to be paying uh, the sick leave. You're going to be paying for time and a half for all hours worked over 40. I mean, there's just a number of things that you didn't have to worry about before that now are going to become a problem. But if you are a company of that size, you try to do certain things that maybe bend the rules per se. Not to say that Uber is bending the rules, but they, they find other ways, uh, ways that would not necessarily be available to a small indie developer. Mm-hmm. So I've been in the industry for a while. I mean, I've been in the fortunate position of been able to kind of pick full time over contract work. I think I've only done contract uh, as my main job, maybe once, but most of the time it's been a side thing for extra income, which I'm seeing a lot of it being affected now because a lot of full timers who are looking for that side income to do freelancing on the side is affected by this, um, especially living, of course, in California. Uh, they're not uh, they're not getting as much work as they used to, right? Because people are not knowing how this is going to play out, right? I mean, initially there was 
problems. And now I think there are even more issues with it because now as they kind of, um, there's a lot of exemptions on it, right? It's like pages mm-hmm. of pages of exemptions trying to address how this is a failure of a bill. <laughs> and, but like, of course, the exemptions are very specific to certain industries because they had lobbyists helping them with that. So, of course, game developers aren't really on that list, right? They really have to um, kind of squint at yes it to and, kind of make it fit. And no. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's um, graphic designers were on right. that list. Right. And so, you know, artists within game, artists' roles within the game industry arguably can all fall under graphic design. Graphic design. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't recall, and I'm trying to find the list to get it off the top of my head. Uh, I don't believe engineers, coders, uh, developers were in there. I did see website services. Um, yeah. So, again, take that for what it is. What 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 is a website service? So, in theory, if you're doing some sort of development in that respect, I think arguably you could be exempt. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, a big big portion of this industry uh, is not exempt, and that's why you're starting to see a lot of these LLCs being created. Another piece of the detail that kind of was like a red flag was this is towards journalism, and uh, it said anything over 35 pieces of articles uh, within a year qualifies you for like. Uh, not a contractor, but a full-time or, or, or uh, that will fall along with it. This is bill where you can start pretty much um, kind of following suit. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's, I mean, like th- that's a really odd number. I think we talked about this before to kind of put down on paper and say no more than 35. It's not even one per week. Uh, if we're, we're talking about contributing to a website or, or, uh, uh, to a piece of work, right? And the, and the big question there is who's watching, you know? Yeah. If you're doing it through your buddy's website, do you really think, you know, that's a risk? I, I'm willing to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're, say, writing for New York Times and you're one of the more, say, featured uh, freelance writers of a particular article or opinion piece you do, yeah, I think you have a higher risk of, of causing problems with the New York Times or being classified as an employee uh, if you're, say, writing a new article every week or every couple of days. you know, Then it's clear, okay, well, they're not just a contractor here. They're providing uh, a very important means to this particular business. Um, but that's not the only sort of uh, way to fall under an employee status. They, they did codify this test. Uh, if you want, we can kind of break down the three prongs of the test here. Mm-hmm. Um, so to determine a worker qualifies as a independent contractor only if you satisfy what's called the ABC test, you actually have to satisfy all three prongs, uh, to give a little bit of history. These tests used to be balancing acts where it was, let's take all the things that make you, or at least what the company would argue, an independent contractor and put them in bucket A. And then we'll take all the things that you, the contractor trying to become classified as an employee would would argue and put that in bucket B. And we're going to put it on a scale and a court will sit there and view these different factors. Some obviously have greater weight than others and determine, okay, well, based on the evidence provided, you're either X or you're Y. Now, it's no longer a balancing test per se. It's, it's you have to satisfy these three things. And if you don't, you're an employee. So the first, you have to be free from the control and direction of the hiring entity in connection with the performance of the work, both under contract of the performance of the work and in fact. Mm-hmm. The second... You perform work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. That is a big one, and we'll get back to that in a second. But most of these gig economy um, companies, this is the te- this is the part of the test that they fail is section two. The third, the individual is customarily engaged in independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature that is involved in the work performed. This also is kind of a catch-all. I would say a good portion, if not a a 75 plus percentage, will fail B. Those that somehow pass B, and we're talking about gig economy companies, will not get past C. Mm -hmm. 
And and that's how this thing is written. And it's very broad. Um, so if you want, we can dive into these, kind of explain them a little bit further. Yeah, let's definitely do that. I think the frustration comes on both sides. Like I haven't really talked to people who are all hands in with this stuff because I think the general public, when they are not in the Uber and Lyft system, they, the natural response is like, who's making them drive these vehicles, right? I mean, you're, it's like an opt-in service, right? And it's mm-hmm. not very... I mean, the cool thing about it, you determine your own schedule and stuff, but all this that it's doing, at least for the other industry, I was kind of reading up on this a little earlier, you know, the truck drivers kind of opted out of full employment to become uh, independent contractors because they had more control of their own schedule and they were able to kind of have uh, just overall control of their life, right? And so they're yeah, fighting you see, back. You see it a and, lot. And things like this, yeah. And so what this bill does is just takes away the freedom and more more so than than not at least in the game industry a lot of contractors are kind of more restricted to one job at a time now if they're considered to be an employee status officially on paper. yeah absolutely um you know if, if we dive into this so like for example prong a control direction of work this this particular section of the a b test ABC test from AB5 really was ripped right from uh, the IRS and other you know, common law right of control tests to determine whether somebody is an employee or employer when they're doing their taxes. And, you know, in California, you're looking at a lot of different factors. Uh, a lot of them is, you know, can the employee be fired at any time or sorry, not employee, the contractor? Uh, are they paid by the hour, or by the job? Do they provide their own tools, supplies, workplace, work their own hours? These are all elements that are still kind of exist of this sort of balancing test. But instead of this being the test across the board, this only satisfies the first prong. So I think there's a lot of arguments to be had that gig economy workers, game design and game developers, they can all f- comfortably pass prong number one. I mean, problems that say indie devs may have if you're supplying somebody a workstation, if you're supplying somebody a laptop, giving them what they need to do the job that you're hiring them for, for this particular, sorry, contracting for. I need to make sure we're using the correct buzz terms here. Mm -hmm. Um, Those will create problems for you in this sort of balancing test for prong A. But if you're going to hire somebody, they bring their own laptop, they write the code, they hand it to you, they leave. That goes to satisfying prong A. Um, how about same with sort of the setting your own schedule? <laughs> I you guess know, the, it's, the it, workaround is alone, right? Like this is a program that you can use. Here's a computer you can use, but it's not yours. Yeah, I mean, in theory, it, it's hard. The the argument that one is hard because it's just one prong. You know, let's say right. you have a very particular type of program that you need them to code on, so you're going to provide them the tool to do the job, but they're doing it on their own, sort of time they're being paid for the job and not by hourly um you know you're letting them finish the job the way that they know how to finish it within their skill set and you're not micromanaging them you know you're not you're you're a manager in the sense of here's the task i need you to do but you're not giving them the direct explicit instructions how to do that task so those all go into satisfying that first prong um, the second prong, and this is the one where I believe the vast majority of people are going to fail, is this outside services. So it's work or performs work. So this individual is performing work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. And that's mm. to break that down, what that basically means is the person you hire or contract, they don't typically perform a service that is customary in what your business is. Now, of course, there's you can take this very broad and very loose and say, well, I'm in the business of making games and they're in the business of writing code. Mm-hmm. Arguably could be the same thing. You could also make the argument, again, that they're not. Um, this is really going towards the argument that uh, person A is a plumber who's coming to fix the pipes at your studio. Yeah, yeah. You're in your office building. Clearly, that work as a plumber has nothing to do with with your business as a game studio. Um, so that's what I mean. It gets very granular. Same with um, Uber drivers. You know, your job is to drive a car around for 
Uber. And while Uber will sit there and say, we're not in the business of driving people around or transportation, we're an app that provides a service that connects individuals together. Arguably, they're a transportation company and they hire independent contractors, drivers to pick person A up to take them to place B. Yeah, I mean, this is such a black and white um, solution to a, a huge issue here because essentially we're trying to push away from people hiring contractors. I mean, that's that's what the bill is kind of set out to do is like there's just no room for contractors uh, and it's not realistic to how a business functions, especially a startup or a thriving business who kind of needs that interim step of hiring temporary people to kind of get things going. Like who has the, who there's not many companies and businesses that has the funds to kind of outright hire full timer. I think that's going to cause more issues down the line because you're kind of emptying the bucket right from the beginning (laughs) before testing an idea. Part-time employees that as a small studio, managing that is not what you want to be doing. You don't want to be sit there and, and making sure schedules are set. And did this person work 40 hours? No, great. Did they work 38 or or 30? You know, how how do we make sure that we can stay under this line, but yet still get the work we need done, done. And that's where like sort of hiring or contracting with individuals for particular projects really plays a role. Um, You know, it doesn't matter how many hours you work, Brandon, if I'm hiring you to code this website or this game or this level or this um, concept, or even create this demo for me, you just, you get paid once it's done. Yeah. But as an employee, if you're being paid hourly or uh, monthly annually salary, it's going to cost this business, my business, tons, as including paying for your insurance, paying unemployment, paying um, payroll tax. I mean, these are all huge expenses that come out of a business's bottom line. And when you're, say, working on your first game and you don't have a revenue stream coming in yet, this can really cripple you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it, it just doesn't seem... I mean, obviously, we know the reason why they wanted to push this bill, like, so fast and in, in, in through the system, right? Because Lyft and Uber were making millions, even close to a billion, without really paying too much to employees or people, right? They, their, their profit margin was huge. And so, of course, California saw that, and they just want more of the profits, and so it's just pretty crazy that is this sustainable? I mean, is this something that you feel in the future a couple of years from now that it still will be relevant? It feels like every business and even even independent contractors are pushing against this. So if the business and the contractors are pushing against this, how how much I mean, how strong can it stand again, you know, uh, in the midst of that? Well, it depends on who you believe. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is, was this law created as a way for California to strike back at big tech and specifically gig economies? Or was this their attempt at protecting the public from being exploited by companies? It, I know those both sounded very similar, <laughs> but there is a difference. And what I mean by that is, are these regulators putting their heads so deep in the sand to try and damage tech that they're just going to be completely oblivious to the impact this law has on everybody else? Or did they actually think that they were doing a good thing here by looking at the landscape within California and go, look, these companies using loopholes to exploit our citizens and our citizens don't see this because to them, they need the bottom line. They need the money. So let's put a law in place that gets them more money in their pocket. We'll protect them, make sure they get things like health insurance, and everyone will be happy. Sure, businesses pay a little bit more, but they can afford it. That's always the sort of air quotes, uh, you know, you're a business. You should be making money. You can afford this expense. Uh, And it's it's just not true. Yeah, what I'm trying to find out, I'm kind of looking through right now, is like, is it working right now? So November is when this bill kind of passed through and it's been, well, we're in March now. 
It's been three months. I'm sure by now they have data to kind of see. It seems like Uber and Lyft, they're already having workarounds to this. Uh, I'm looking right now uh, how, how ride-sharing companies like them are uh, responding to this law. Things like they're, they're allowing drivers to kind of see their destination in advance. Uh, removing penalties for rejecting rides. Uh, they're testing a future where riders can, uh, drivers can set their own rates in 10% increments. So, I mean, they're working with it, but it, it doesn't feel like the state of California is really getting the profit margin. You know, if there's two sides to this coin, right? It doesn't seem like the California state is actually really benefiting too much from putting this into law. Or am I wrong about this? No, I, I think that I think that you're seeing a a complete sort of not a complete 180 because that's not entirely true. But I think you're seeing regulators taking a step back mm-hmm. and thinking that they went too far. And, and for example, if you look at some of the big rallies. Uh, around AB5, it was Uber and Lyft drivers protesting, talking yeah. about unions. Yep. That it's just not the case for everybody, and I think that's what uh, we're starting to see now. And, and in fact, there are uh, 34 separate pieces of legislation that are being introduced on AB5 in the past couple of weeks. Oh, wow. uh, all these have to deal with expanding the list of occupations that are uh, in that sort of exemption pile. Um, for example, pharmacists are are not exempt by AB five, and they're they're seeking exemption. Um, marriage therapists, youth sports referees, logging or loggers. I mean, these are all industries that. The legislatures, when they were creating these bills, they didn't even think about. Yeah. And so to sit here and think, well, if this was a target for big tech, of course, they're not going to build out exceptions for engineers, for uh, designers. You know, uh, Although these are crucial jobs and roles within gaming, unfortunately, they're not looking at to, to save. We're not even on that list. <laughs> No, you're, you're, you're miles from it because these are all roles at the same time are roles that are at bigger companies, bigger tech companies in the Valley. And that's their number one sort of circle with the bullseye on it. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to find ways to hurt these individuals. Sure, you might affect the gig economy, but let's find ways where we can hurt them at the corporate level. You're not going to see um, companies like Uber and Lyft pull in huge numbers of independent contractors to come in and start coding for them either. Right. It's true. Well, a little bit about the game industry is that, at least in my experience, uh, the AAA companies rely heavily on contractors. In recent years, there's been a lot of big pushes where uh, contractors will be at the beginning and basically be there till the end of the game. And when the game ships, uh, instead of layoffs, it's just not renewing contracts. And it is a loophole on the company side to kind of avoid paying benefits and all this extra costs. But in a way, it was better than being laid off um, because you have this expected date and you can prepare for it. So uh, to me, it was at least a 50-50 exchange, right? And Mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, I'm a little biased because I I was fortunate enough to have like the full-time gig while I watched my friends uh, carrying this contract with them. And of course, everybody would love to kind of stick around and be full-time, but because of this loophole, companies didn't have to. Um, With that being said, there's only a small percentage that actually gets converted for full-time where everybody was kind of promised that. So that was an issue where people were feeling like the game industry was moving towards. It was um, reminiscent of what the visual effects companies were doing, where visual effects companies are completely out of California now. They're mostly in Canada or uh, outside the States or whatever, uh, uh, offshores. But um, it's pretty much 99% like contractors and very few full-timers when they're working on movies and stuff. And so everybody kind of saw that happening with the game industry, not to the crazy extent that the visual effects people. And so that was the fear. But nobody's really rejoicing about this law kind of pushing uh, businesses to kind of only hire full-timers because we know how 
easily that can be danced around by just hiring outside of the state and uh, just pretty much refusing to to bend to it, right? Um, and I think you'll see some other things start to happen here that could be – because we've been very gloom and doom, but I think this also opens up opportunities as well. For example, now – it is possible that a AAA studio maybe won't be hiring individual contractors, but this gives you the opportunity to create a company with mm-hmm. multiple friends of yours mm-hmm. um, and then contract with some of these AAA studios through your company. And then in theory, you could have multiple projects going because you can have multiple contracts with different studios and you're no longer confined to working for just one. That is true. And so there's an opportunity, you know, for for the real entrepreneurs out there, this can be an opportunity and not just a setback. Right. I mean, the steps of trying to incorporate an LSC and actually wanting to run a business, although things have made it easier, you know, uh, talking to friends like yourself or anybody who's willing to help. Uh, most people kind of avoid that step because of the headaches or the thing of that's not knowing about how to form a business. So you are super correct about that. Like people who are ambitious enough, this opens up opportunities for these, the need, uh, the talent. There's a reason why most people kind of look at talent in California as opposed to other states, right? There's a lot of um, hubs here within Los Angeles, San Francisco uh, that people want to tap into so this avenue of uh, working le- did, uh, legitimately and not to on an individual basis, actually, you're completely correct. It actually opens up opportunities for uh, companies to do B2B and avoid this whole headache. I'm just really curious if that actually works, right? Just the LLC thing, because I keep hearing the risk factor and most bigger companies just completely avoiding it whatsoever. Just like, I don't know. There's like exemptions that are five pages long. I don't even want to look through it and have our lawyers or pay our lawyers. Let's just hire an outside company in Seattle or whatever. Right. So that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, that that's I, always the risk. Aaron, and that's, yeah. that's the, that's sort of the easy way out. And it's, you'll, you'll see it a lot. You'll see studios leave California, um, and, and go to greener pastures like Seattle. Um, I've heard stories that Nevada in that area is, is going to potentially be a, a really big up and coming hotspot. It's close to California. It's mm-hmm. got no state income tax. You've got the deserts so throw up all your solar panels and call yourself a green company. <laughs> That's true. You know, so you'll you'll see states, uh, you know, you already see it kind of uh, in Arizona. Um, Phoenix is a big hub for tech, for especially for testing new products. So California's lost is going to be these other states gains. Uh, but this goes back to individuals in California have to be willing then to adapt and leave the state to find work. Right. Which is funny because I'm somebody who left my state of Florida to California for <laughs> the land of opportunity and work. Yeah. Well, let's kind of look at the greener side of things. What other benefits can you anticipate or you're already seeing uh, with, you know, along with other states benefiting from this, but also individuals being pushed to form LLC and, and think like more like a business? Uh, what other things do you feel like this can be helpful uh, for game developers out there to kind of look at this with a positive light? It's going to create more jobs in a very roundabout way. Um, It's going to give opportunities for very skilled individuals to shine where normally they may have been hired on a per project basis um for 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 a good side then also you can flip it to a bad side um you know they may hire you for just a project and treat you like a contractor you know there's always that sort of ugly bad actor scenario where someone's going to say we're following the law but they really don't and you don't have the resources to sue them Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, 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 this is one of those hard laws to really sit there and point to. Here's all the great benefits for the industry, you know? Um, mm. Individuals, rock on. You guys got yourselves full time, part time gigs uh, if you can find them. But finding them is going to be more and more difficult. Mm-hmm. 
or you'll have the people who just don't care. <laughs> they, they exist. They're in the woodwork. Um, you know, if you're a small shop, like real small shop, and you don't have any assets, what's the risk to you? Mm-hmm. You close up shop and then you you start again somewhere. That's not any bit of advice that I would ever follow, but it's something. It's it's an internal risk assessment that everyone has to do, uh, and, and that's really the only way you're going to decide whether or not you want to follow this law, you want to go against this law, or you want to move operations offshore or to another uh, state. Well, let's talk about that. Like the, the major companies, smaller companies, especially your indie. I mean, you're, you're living in California. You're really stacking against yourself. Um, we're seeing a lot of people, companies moving to other states, right? I mean, California AB5, if anything, is another reason why. Um in recent years, at least, uh, you know, I, I know friends within the industry that have moved to Texas or other 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 states that have lower income tax or, or just wanting to have the ability to buy and purchase a home and, and start a life. Right. California has been oh, yeah, slowly yeah, California for that. <laughs> yeah. Slow. Yeah. California is slowly pushing people out. Um and this is more of a more of a discussion. I don't know if you have the facts. It's more like I just want your opinions. Like, what? Why exactly is California setting itself for this? Because I know they totally understand this is part of the the fallout of uh, passing laws such as this that people are going to be pushed out. So I have some opinions. Um, I don't necessarily say that I have the facts or the evidence to back up these opinions, but I would say the first opinion in the matter is that they sit there and stand by their reputation that we're California. The work is here. Everybody wants to be here. Silicon Valley, if you don't have at least a satellite research office in the area, who are you? Can you even mm-hmm. call yourself a tech company? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I disagree with that, but it's, that's that's the perception. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anyone who's ever visited this area or takes a drive through this area, it's unreal. Every company that you can think of, every brand, they either have a headquarters here or at least a satellite research office here, everywhere you look. Mm-hmm. And so California's not worried about losing that business because where, where are they going to go? Um, we, at the same time, the flip side of that would be um, it's a very, very liberal state. They're very pro-citizen. They were the first to pass a uh, statewide privacy law. They're looking into biometric laws. I mean, this is not out of the realm for California. I mean, they were the first to pass a uh, medical marijuana law. I mean, California tests the waters. Where it's, it's the experimental testing ground for the United States, if, if you will. And a law like this is just something that you should be able to point to and foresee is likely to come through this state. It shouldn't have surprised anybody. And for the same reason that you kind of played at, like California is kind of like this testing bed where smaller companies or anybody who wants to make a name for themselves can take the risk and kind of push the envelope. However, with California AB5 and laws such as this, we're kind of pushing out the innovators. We're kind of telling companies or, or, or uh, individuals kind of stop taking risk. And what I feel like a lot of these other places like Texas who are becoming like the next tech hub, uh, the innovations are going to be taking a place elsewhere where, I mean, uh, you, 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 well, I mean like uh, now that, well, you know, you, you hear this, you hear this argument all is it the a lie? time. All right. You hear it. Oh, Austin is blowing up right now. Boston <laughs> is blowing up right now. Miami is going to be the next big tech hub. It's you hear it all the time. When <laughs> yeah. when Epic Games and Fortnite was was starting to really begin its stride, oh my God, North Carolina, that's going to be the hub for gaming. You yeah. know, you just yeah. see it. Anytime you're outside of California, everyone's tooting, even within California. Oh, Tech Beach, guys. Come on. Silicon Beach. Like, <laughs> come on. It's there until the big names leave. Yeah. Everyone else is just a secondary market. Right. And, and I know that's that's awful, but it's the reality. If you look about the companies and the money where and follow the money, because that's the most important thing you can do in an industry. Follow the money. 
the other locations, the Boston's, the Austin's, the Miami's, the Atlanta's, all that money is fractions of what's here in California. Mm-hmm. And until the money leaves, we're going to keep trying to push things in this state to, in theory, make a better life for its citizens. You know, look at CCPA. You don't see anybody leaving. You don't see <laughs> Google or Facebook or Amazon or Apple packing up to move on out. Yeah. Well, I kind of want to tag in onto this. So you, you've been in the Bay Area for a while, and I, I lived in the Bay Area a few times uh, in long stretches of my career. And San Francisco, especially, has been changing, right? They're like um, citizens have been kind of who grew up in that place have been being uh, been pushed out because of the higher marketplaces and impossibility of buying home and stuff. It's just being more and more difficult unless you work at a tech company. So the I would scene- use pushed out very loosely. On the <laughs> loosely. They're cashing out. Cashing is what out. they're doing. Okay. Their homes that they bought for $110,000 30 years ago are now worth four and five million. Yeah. They are cashing out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that is great news for a lot of those people. What I fear is that, and maybe this is just like what you said, is just a lot of these other states kind of hyping their own their own agenda uh that the saturation of these certain areas of california are are happening where um you know i guess facebook is the exception most other companies are innovators but even apple and facebook and this is more like a more like an opinion and uh i I feel like they're kind of like uh plateauing a bit in in terms of innovation right but again that has to do more with the leadership than than the people underneath but maybe that is just a, a wave that i'm just very biased against <laughs> because i just feel like lately <laughs> you know i'm at the, in that generation where well, it, we're part hard. of that group it's hard to yeah. see innovation now because there was major leaps yeah for the longest time in That's innovation right. and now we've hit sort of a brick wall where Everything that is being created is incremental upgrades of what already exists. I don't think we're going to see another massive bloom like we saw from 2000 to, say, 2015 or even 2015 to 2020. I think – it will have to create some massively changing, world-changing technology. And you see it now with incremental upgrades. Look at Tesla being able to create a incredibly technologically sure. filled mm-hmm. vehicle at a very affordable price. When those things came out, they were like 100 and 200K. Now you can walk one off the lot for you know, 35, 60, you know, 40 grand. It's still yeah. a lot of money, but it's not the $196,000 one that Schwarzenegger is driving off the lot. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the sort of upgrades we're going to see. Things are going to get cheaper. Things are going to get more efficient and things are going to get more powerful. But I think until some sort of new computer chip display gadget, something so innovative that the world has no idea why it, it didn't live with this before comes out and gets created, we're not going to see that major bloom in innovation. Mm-hmm. And, and you see attempts – Look at 3D TVs. Those were the hottest things since sliced bread for about two years. Um, now Probably now less. we're all about is how great of <laughs> how, how great of a resolution can we get? Can we we got 4K? Let's push it to 8K. Next, it's going to be 12K. Um, and can we make games look more real? Can we uh, find ways to play cloud gaming? You know, play Stadia. You've got uh, GeForce Now. You know, these are sort of the new innovations we're going to see. And for the average individual, those might not appear to be sort of uh, the the crazy innovation from, say, the current iPhone to the original iPhone. Yeah. But in a way, for for those who really support the industries and and know what's happening on the back end, the idea of say cloud based gaming with low to little or low to no latency is a marvel in its own feat. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you completely uh, corrected me <laughs> because uh, Sorry. No, no. I didn't mean to do that to you. You, t- you totally burned me, but it's true. It's true. I, I think what you're, you're mentioning is like we look at the last twenty years, the first ten years of this uh, century or millennia, 
we had the Facebook, the Google, the Apple with Steve Jobs and yeah. Pixar. Social networks the crazy, didn't exist really until yeah. Facebook. I mean, you had MySpace, but to what social media is today, it never – like Twitter, do you think Twitter would have stand on its own without Facebook coming into existence? Do you think MySpace would have been enough to make Twitter to be a, an actual thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Instagram, huge. another one, like the idea of an Instagram influencer and all that, like this is, these are all new concepts. YouTubers being able to make an entire career on YouTube didn't exist 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And those are all California companies, man. <laughs> yeah. no, one, no one's talking about Austin. Uh, I'll be curious. No, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Tesla I mean, alone, every, that's the biggest innovation. A, um, really, yeah. Yeah, but everyone everyone can have a satellite office somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And those I, satellite offices have to be filled with people. Yeah. Well, I, I just hope that that keeps because I, I I've been born and raised in California. I love California. You know, I created a business here. I, I I'm thriving here. I'm having fun here. And I love the people and the talent here. Um and I, I think you're completely correct. Um People want to be here, so obviously the talent is going to stay here, or at least see it as a goal. I think people who live in Austin, especially my friend who's been there for a while, uh, are lying to themselves. <laughs> they, they forget. Uh, I mean, from, I'll give you a from, fantastic from the weather example. and everything. Yeah, Amazon owns Seattle. Now, mm-hmm. there are other companies that are in the Seattle greater area, but the biggest company that's in Seattle is Amazon. Amazon, yeah. And yet Amazon still comes to Silicon Valley to open an office here. That right. just shows you the pull of California, a company that owns practically owns a state, let mm-hmm. alone an entire city, yet still comes to California to open an office. You, you know, it's just – presence. The town. You have to. So, yeah. yeah. Well, when you have schools like Berkeley and you have USC and you have Stanford and uh, you know we're the we're the hub for for Asia. Uh, you just there's so much here yeah. that, in a way, you could view AB five as a attempt by the legislation to either slow things down a little bit or provide protection for those who don't really know how to protect themselves. So you have a, tying it all back. Yeah, I mean, what when I talk to you about it, it sounds like this is just a shit show that's going to work out its kinks in five, ten years. That in the end will benefit a lot of employees and businesses uh, all over California. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe. maybe, or or they realize their mistake and they rescind it. Is that is that a possibility? Is that a possibility, a possibility that okay. – Well, you got to keep in mind these people who created AB5, these legislatures, they were voted in by, by their constituents. Mm-hmm. So if you, the public, don't like this bill, support a candidate that would vote to strike it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another, I mean you – know, We're getting into election year. And yeah. We're getting into 2020. It makes we're in a lot 2020. Of sense. Yeah. You know, we're we're getting into November. You're going to see that this is the opportunity. If you don't like the laws that are in place in your state, this is your chance to go out and vote and put people in power that you believe have your best interests intact. Yeah, that's one that's, of that's the best buy or non buy <laughs> to go out and vote. <laughs> it's very true. I mean, one of the things that this bill is trying to tackle or trying to encourage is um, just labor unions, right? Just having these industries, game industry especially, doesn't have a union. And it's been something that's been kind of picking up the last two years, being pushed. And or at least, in a way, just having some basic foundations. I have an unpopular opinion on unions. Well, I would love to hear it because I'm still, I'm still on the fence because I feel like if there's two sides of this argument, then there's always valid points on both sides that I don't have all the information for. So I would love to kind of hear what your, um, how 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 bad it can be for the game industry to kind of unionize. Is it the same issue? Would it push away more employment? Yes. What do you think? Yes and no, but. I don't discount the impact that unions have in the industries in which they are very prevalent in. Let me just throw that out there. So I don't want to piss off any union workers that I'm speaking to. Uh, I, at one point, was a member of the Screen Actors Guild, so I know what it's like to be involved in a union. Um, They provide a significant benefit to the industries, like I said, that they are established in. 
I think that in the modern day, people use unions as an excuse for either A, entering into a bad situation or a bad deal, or B, to try and solve a problem that could be solved by other means. And you see it a lot in the game industry. You see it where people – it's always around the time that crunch time gets discussed, right? You oh, Every article when a big title comes out and they talk about the crunch time and, and finishing up a project, and there's, every, there's always somebody. There's always some guy on a message board that says, well, if we had a union, this wouldn't be a problem. That's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. You know, ask ask the auto industry about crunch time. You know, ask uh, the NFL and the players' union about how much power unions truly have. Mm-hmm. And you'll see. You know, I think that they've been uh, glamorized, and I think that individuals think that a union will be the root of all salvation for their problems. And I just, in my personal opinion, don't think that that's always the case. And I think in the game industry, you'll find that companies rather not hire union workers and go overseas to get what they need done than hire union workers in the United States. And to create a fantastic example on why that's a concern, if you have a car manufacturing facility in Detroit, Michigan, and that's where you have your plant and that's where you have your equipment. Well, you're going to hire whoever you can hire who has the skills necessary to do that. And if you have the entire workforce unionized, well, that's who you have. You know, That's what you got from that pool. So you have to deal with the union. If you're a AAA studio or even an indie studio that has the funds and you're looking at this landscape and you're going, I can hire union workers in the United States since we're a relatively digital product, we can have workers anywhere we want. Or I can hire 10,000 independent contractors sitting in a computer warehouse in Bangladesh, India to perform the same work. What are, what are you, the company, going to do? Exactly. Yeah, it's the same fear that I always... It's the same fear with this California AV5. I, I feel like it prevents moving quickly. And I think two individuals being interrupted to doing a certain job that both agreed by a third party can be very troublesome. And in game development, especially where time is money... Uh, do we have the patience to kind of sit through all these addendums and exemptions and fixing the law so it fits and works for everybody? That could take years, right? It could take a long time to kind of Absolutely. work that out. And I, I we're hire feeling it. An employment attorney, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you, you get one on retainer. You say, <laughs> "What can I do? Where are my lines? How can I cross this without really crossing it?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's just a tricky thing. And I've heard, I mean, you know, we've had um, representatives from Game Workers Unite on the podcast. It's a it's a movement that's been kind of moving pretty fast the last few years. And uh, naturally, people want to be on uh, the, the perspectively, you know, uh, on the game developer side, right? Because that's, those are the good guys, obviously. Let's pay them what they want. But I feel like people who are affected by this, the mass majority are kind of wanting, in my opinion, are, are a bit lazy on not taking matters in their own hands because there are solutions, like you said, that can be explored to kind of avoid kind of crunch culture or being taken advantage of. But what these laws kind of, we're still kind of working out the details once we put it on a stone tablet, right? It gets really hard to kind of remove them after it's all fucked up right and we have uh, a we have a saying in law and it comes a lot when there's offers and acceptances and when we're negotiating deals but it's very prevalent here too you can't put the genie back in the bottle exactly so difficult (laughs) to do that now that it's out you're it's going to be very difficult to get change happening but like i said there's already 34 uh proposed legislation changes to AB5 and and the bill hasn't even been out for a full year. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to keep being refined. It's going to and, and the courts will have a role in shaping this as well. Uh eventually we'll get to a comfortable place with it or you go out in November, you vote 
and you could put people in power, depending on whatever side you support, that have your best interest intact. And maybe that's the people who are in power now. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I'm not here to tell you what to do. But that is, if you want to have a solid impact and change on the current environment and you're in California, that's how you do it. I completely agree to that. And I think that's a good send off point uh, for anybody out there. This is a voting year. Go out there in November. I do feel like it's always best to kind of leave it up to the individual, kind of figure things out. Um, it just it's it feels so much easier because uh, with this bill being out and all these exemptions being built for each industry, it's going to take a long time for before game developers even have a lobbyist <laughs> to kind of help us kind of formulate this to to our liking. Uh, I don't see that happening anytime soon. I do like the fact that people are pushing back on this bill a bit um, from each industry to kind of make it better, but. It's going to be a while. It's going to be a while till it actually helps us. And I, I feel I'm already seeing the pain and the hurt that's kind of going on with all the contractors and just people kind of avoiding California contractors altogether just to wait this one out. They'd rather take that course of action because there's a lot of talent already. It is a digital world, at least for game developers. There's no reason why they have to go through at that risk, which I completely understand. So, Zach, uh, we are at the hour mark. Um, we kind of discussed this before. But this is where I kind of hand over the mic to you to kind of give cause, promote, or uh, give attention to anything that you have out there uh, that you want the listeners and the viewers to know about. Absolutely. So, Brandon, this one's this one. I'm throwing I'm throwing a shout out to you. You had brought this to my attention. Uh, being out here in the Bay Area, I have seen in the headlines almost every day of conferences getting canceled left, right, and center. Uh, I did not know this was a, a current movement, but to the indie devs out there in the students, because I'm sure you're part of this as well, who booked your trips out to GDC to only see it be postponed to a time that you can no longer make it and you can't get that refund, you can't get that trip. Uh, I believe there's sort of a, a hashtag support indie GDC um, happening right now. Find these people out there start your GoFundMes, fund some of these GoFundMes, you know, help the community uh, because at some point in time, that was probably you. And in November, go out and vote. All right. Well, thanks. Did we cover it? (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much it, man. Thank you for uh, giving that that minute there for for a bigger cause, man. And I want to thank you so much, Zach. Always a blast to kind of have you on the podcast and kind of share your opinions and change my thoughts (laughs) on everything from (laughs) an hour before. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you again. And uh, have a good one. You too, man. So thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope that you're a subscriber, but if you aren't, please feel free to follow us on any of the major podcast platforms, especially iTunes or Spotify. You can find show notes and more resources available to help you become a successful game developer. Just go on over to our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. If you're interested in keeping the conversation going, then definitely come check us out in Discord where we chat in real time for After Show Tuesdays to discuss episodes and Feedback Fridays where we share screenshots on the projects that we're currently working on. If you go over to Patreon.com, you can support our podcast financially. And if you do so, you'll get access to Life Unchained, our on-the-pulse, unfiltered game dev gossip content that we make exclusively for our Patreon supporters. And as usual, you can keep in touch and follow our happenings on Facebook and Twitter. That's Game Dev Unchained, the podcast.